This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah's number anytime, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get some emails. We'll be running through a bunch of those today. But first, my friend, you've been a lawyer for a long time. You worked on the insurance side. Now you're working on the personal injury side. Uh, but it's been about a year into your, your foray into radio, and and, and I welcome you uh, to the Thank fold you, of the craziness is uh, the six forty listener. And uh, I want to I want you just to uh, to tell us just to, to give everybody uh, a little heads up on a message you got this week. No names mentioned. Just tell me how it went down. No names mentioned. Uh, it was an interesting voicemail uh, okay. uh, from a lady who obviously heard the show uh, and left me a. I think it was about three voicemails saying that uh, she couldn't understand the firm name, okay. uh, that we, we should spell it on okay. air, and, gotcha. and I, I should spell it as well uh, in my voicemail message when somebody calls in. And, of course, she said that uh, she, she could not understand what the number was. In other words, she didn't know what my number was uh, to call me. And, of course, she was leaving me that message telling me that. We'll just uh, let that so sink in for a sec with the listener. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting listener, yeah. <laughs> It's but I, I can tell you, I can tell you, John, that the majority of people who call me, uh, they do have legitimate complaints and and very serious stories to tell, uh, and that's what this show is about. Really, it's mm-hmm. these stories, uh, personal injury, uh, insurance disputes, things you know, serious uh, issues that people are dealing with on a day to day basis, uh, where it's literally like a David and Goliath story. Uh, either they're dealing with a, with a long term disability insurance company, or they're dealing with an insurance company if. if uh, if they're injured and they don't know what to do and they're being pressured, uh, they're being cut off benefits. And, and this is what we do here. We answer questions and we give examples and we, we let people know what the, what the truth is and, and what they should know when they're dealing with these issues. Quite simple, stlawyers.ca, right? Very That's cool. the website, exactly. Now we get uh, to a couple. We like to start with the, uh, you know, the week that was. you got a couple cases to run by us. Yeah? I do, yeah. And again, it was a very busy week, uh, very interesting um, uh, calls that I received, one of which uh, was actually a lady that had listened to the show uh, for several months, and I was communicating with her a few months back, and she finally got in touch with me, and she actually has a lawyer. She suffered a slip and fall incident last year uh, in a hotel in Kingston, and uh, she, she had some injuries uh, to her shoulder, to her back, mm-hmm. and what I didn't know is that she had a lawyer at that point. No claim was actually started, but she had a lawyer, um, and by, by claim, I mean there, no court claim was actually started, and she contacted me because she wanted to know what she's entitled to, and of course, we went through the usual questions. What are the injuries? How have those injuries affected your ability to work, to earn income, to do things that you generally did before the accident at home. And what she told me is that uh, her lawyer told her that she's in the process of trying to resolve the claim with the insurance adjuster, that they're waiting for that one-year mark to see what would happen at that point. Here's the interesting thing is, as I was asking her questions, it came to light that uh, the injury to her shoulder, remember she injured her shoulder and her back, the injury in her shoulder, uh, there's been some discussion with some of the doctors that there is a potential tear in that shoulder. Okay. Now, the numbers, I can tell you, without going into the numbers themselves, the numbers that that lawyer had told this lady that she may be entitled to for pain and suffering, there are they would not compensate her for a shoulder tear. Of course, I said to her, you know, get an MRI, make sure that you, it's diagnosed. We need to know what kind of an injury it is. And she's been treated for the past year. Uh, you know, by by physiotherapists, by various people, 
You're saying and the so number is too low. The number is very low. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't account for the fact right. that she may have a tear. And again, maybe she won't. But here's something else that this lawyer hasn't accounted for, which is the impact on this lady abil- lady's ability to work. And she just started a, a full-time job recently. She's having difficulty driving back and forth uh, from work. Uh, she's having difficulty sitting at the desk and doing what she needs to do because of her shoulder mm-hmm. injury. So there is a possibility she, she won't be able to continue with that job. Again, very significant because if she's working now and because of this injury, she's unable to continue or perhaps needs modified duties, her income loss claim is going to be fairly significant. That could be the bigger number, right? It could be the bigger number, but with this other lawyer that's dealing with the claim, apparently that lawyer hasn't even asked her questions about how the injury has affected her ability to earn income. Mm. So again, very, very important to understand that when you have an injury, you have to look look at all components of compensation. There is something else that's very important here, which is that at the end of the conversation I had with this lady, uh, she apparently mentioned to me that she never even met with the lawyer. Can you imagine that, John? She's spoken with somebody from the office. She met with somebody from the office, never actually sat face-to-face with the lawyer. So from scratch, I had to explain to her face-to-face exactly what she was up against, what she can expect, the timelines, uh, you know, the entire structure of what a claim like that uh, uh, would consist of. Again, I should not have to do that with this lady who has had a lawyer for now a year. So very sort of disheartening to hear that. And uh, it it seems like she's going to want me to help her going forward. But, you know, it's just one of those things that – It's frustrating. Frustrating. I see it on a day-to-day basis. It's almost like having a doctor telling you, here's what you need to do, but I'm not going to explain to you why it is you're doing it. Right. You know, so how do you know that you're being taken care of? So, again, this was a case that that was really, really interesting, and uh, I just wanted to bring it out to people. Make sure you understand. You have the conversation with your lawyer. You understand the process. Understand what you can expect. Make sure that if you're speaking about the impact of an injury on your life, that you go through all of the effects, Mm -hmm. uh, all all of the the functional uh, um, issues and limitations that you may have, not just day-to-day, but with respect to your uh, work, with respect to perhaps taking care of your kids, of a loved one, anything like that, the lawyer or the paralegal, if there's a paralegal involved, they should be aware of all of these issues and all of these details. Okay, before the break, give us the second one. The second one is a long-term disability case. It, uh, it's, it's, it's a gentleman that, uh, again, has been listening to the show. He's 38 years old. He's a bank manager, suffers from, uh, from depression, which is quite debilitating. He has had to take quite a few uh, weeks uh, off, off work. He's being treated by a psychiatrist with medications, but he's struggling, really struggling day to day. Uh, the long-term disability insurer had cut him off as he's approaching the two-year mark of common. being on LTD, mm-hmm. very common. They said that he's not meeting the definition of long-term disability. Uh, and again, keep in mind, uh, before, he, before he went on LTD, everything was documented by the family doctor, by the psychiatrist, and then, of course, he goes off uh, uh, work on disability. Right. We'll uh, take a short break. I want to get into the injury calculator. Mentioning uh, You mentioned a dollar amount for your injuries. We want to get into this one uh, fairly deeply when we come back. In the meantime, the number is 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And while you're there, check out injurycalculator.ca as well. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. 416-216-5910. That is Savan's direct number. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca if you want to get a hold of him through email. So let's continue on with that uh, second week that was case you were talking about. Right. So okay. this is the disability case with the 38-year-old 30, uh, banker. Right. Uh, so he's approaching the two-year mark of being on long-term disability. He's being cut off by the insurance company. They're saying, you're not disabled enough. You know, you're not totally disabled from doing 
any work for which you're suited for by uh, a training experience or education. Uh, and of course, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's just getting even more depressed by right. that because he doesn't know what he can do. He can go back to work. And, and uh, his wife told him, uh, you know, give this guy on the radio a call. And so he gives me a call and we chatted uh, for, for quite a while, actually. And I reviewed some of the reports from his psychiatrist. And for the life of me, I have no idea how this insurance company is saying that he can go back to work. His psychiatrist is supporting his ongoing disability. Uh, despite all the treatments, he's just he can't get back on the horse. He probably needs a little bit more time, uh, perhaps some more intervention. And so in any event, we started the claim. And guess what, John? This past week, I, I received a phone call from the lawyer from, for the disability insurer and just straight out of the gate, because she had all the reports from the psychiatrist, she says to me, Sivan, why don't we schedule uh, a time over the next month or so to speak about this claim mm-hmm. and see if we can resolve it. Those were the words she used. Let's see if we can resolve it. Now, I'm not telling listeners out there that every claim like this we can resolve within a matter of days or weeks or even months. Sometimes it takes longer. But the point is this. If you are disabled... If the insurance company, the long-term disability insurer, is saying that, no, we think you can go back to work, but you know that you can't. Your spouse knows that you can't. Your family doctor, your treating physicians, they're all saying you can't go at this point. Don't back down. Give us a call. Give me a call. Within a few minutes of talking to you, I'll be able to tell you what your rights are, what you can do, what your options are. Then you can decide. You can make an informed decision as to how you want to proceed. But this was one of those cases that it was just so stark, right? We start the claim Mm -hmm. within a matter of weeks. I get a phone call from the insurance company's lawyer right? Their, their supposed guardian, right? That's supposed to protect right. the insurance company here. Uh, who's telling me, Sivan, I've read, I've read all the reports. Uh, I see where you're coming from. Let's sit down and talk. Let's schedule a time over the next uh, little bit. I'll review everything in detail, speak with my client, and, and we'll see if we can come to some kind of resolution. Because isn't the, isn't the client's doctor, isn't that always the trump card? If the doctor says you can't go back to work, as you far can't as go I'm back concerned, to work, right? Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that is the trump <laughs> card because the, the, the treating physicians uh, or the specialists, they know the individual. Now, the insurance company routinely will have the person assessed by their doctor. They call it an IME, independent medical examination. Notice the irony, independent right. medical examination. These doctors work or are hired by the insurance company. That's not to say that the doctors are not good. It's not to say that uh, they don't have credentials. Of course they do. It doesn't make them independent. (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't make them independent, which is why, you know, I can hire a doctor like that myself, and I often do, except that at the end of the day, I feel that if there was a third party, if there was a judge, if there was somebody looking at it, who would they listen to? Most likely, they would listen to the doctors who have been treating these individuals over a prolonged period of time, because those individuals have nothing to gain. Whereas the doctors that I hire independently and the doctors that the insurance company hires independently, we're paying them for these reports, for these opinions. They're supposed to be objective. Practically speaking, they're probably going to cancel themselves out if it goes in front of, a, of an arbitrator or a judge or someone like that. Who's going to be left? The treating physicians, the treating specialists, the people who have been dealing with this day in and day out with this individual. Injury Calculator and InjuryCalculator.ca and long. In-depth. Give me some details. What's this all about? So it's a, it's a unique tool. It's a fascinating tool that allows people to just uh, calculate how much pain and suffering damages uh, they could potentially be entitled to uh, for their personal injury. So if you slip and fall or if you're in a car accident, someone else is at fault. That's key, obviously. Yeah. I mean, if you're at fault for your own injury, no one's going to compensate you. Uh, obviously, you have OHIP. You can get treatments and everything is paid by OHIP. 
thank God. Uh, but with respect to pain and suffering damages, what the law will compensate you for, yep. if someone else is at fault, you can go to this website anonymously within 30 seconds, input the information, tell them where you fell, how old you are, what kind of injury you suffered. Is it chronic? Is it not? Did you have surgery? Did you not? A few questions like that. It will give you at the end the range of dollar, the dollar range that you could potentially be uh, receiving from whoever was at fault for your injury. Uh, again, very important to understand it's for pain and suffering only. It's not for things like income loss. So if you can't work or you have difficulty working, things like that, you'd have to speak with me and I should be able to uh, you know, fairly quickly give you an idea of what you can expect. But for pain and suffering, this is something that you know, has been uh, going on in Canada for many, many years. We have a lot of cases on the point. This database that we've assembled, this tool, this, this injury calculator.ca tool, it's based on a database of cases across the country. So it's not me saying, I think you should be yeah, getting you're not just picking numbers out of air, I'm not just right? picking yeah. numbers. No, my team and I have gone through for months and scoured the websites, the legal database websites, uh, to look at similar type injuries. What have judges traditionally awarded people for pain and suffering? And, and these are the ranges that you're going to see. You're going to see it's going to be 40,000 to 60,000, 80,000 to 100. Whatever those ranges are, uh, it gives you an idea of what you can expect. Because until this point, you had to phone a lawyer. Like you had, you had no resource, right? Right, except that many lawyers would be hesitant in telling you how much you could expect. Right. And I understand that because, you know, if you were injured yesterday in a car accident, uh, you know, and your back hurts and, and your neck hurts, perhaps your shoulder hurts. You don't necessarily know the impact of those injuries on your day-to-day activities. You may have to give it some time to see how those injuries heal or don't heal. Perhaps they worsen. Yeah. It takes time. So many lawyers are hesitant to give, uh, e- you know, even at the initial meeting, an idea to the person how much you could potentially expect. And I understand that. Uh, but this is what this calculator does. It assumes that sufficient time has passed. Uh, the injuries have crystallized. In other right. words, you know, you're a year later, two years later, your back pain is go it away. Is. It yeah. is what it is. You have a tear in the shoulder. You have a fractured knee. Whatever it is, you can get that range of what you could potentially expect a court to award you uh, from this calculator. And you can go Absolutely to www.injurycalculator.ca. We'll take a short break, get to some emails, and I want to talk about surveillance. This is a big one and a very interesting topic. We'll get to that. In the meantime, Savan's number directly is 416-216-5910. You want to shoot us an email, we'd love to have it. Help at insurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Savan's number directly. Have this in your pocket, 416-216-5910. Maybe even write it on a fringe magnet. And we have help at the insurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of them. Uh, I want to talk about uh, surveillance very shortly, but as promised, I want to bounce over to an email. This one comes from Rick up in the uh, lovely cottage country of Perry Sound. Says, I was doing my morning run about three weeks ago and tripped on a sidewalk ledge about an inch and a half high. I fell, hit my right knee, seems like I tore uh, the meniscus, which is just painful. Says, uh, should I be making a claim for this injury? Is the city at fault? What do I do? Yes. Okay, perfect. Yes, yes, Rick, (laughs) give me a call. Absolutely, give me a call. We'll chat about it. Uh, I, I, I need to understand a little bit more about the area where, where you were running. Uh, I, I need to understand uh, who, who owned the area. Uh, you may think that it's the city, but maybe there is someone else who owns it. Uh, we need to figure out the exact ownership, and that's not difficult to do. So generally speaking, for the public out there that's listening, uh, I, I see these kinds of injuries and these kinds of incidents happen quite frequently. I mean, clearly, uh, municipalities have an obligation to make sure that when, when we are running or walking on sidewalks and public property, that's available to the public, that those are safe or reasonably safe. That's, that's the test, reasonably safe. And so the question is, well, when you have a ledge, when you have uh, two abutting uh, concrete blocks, uh, 
when, when, when there's a high differential, and you know, I mean, we have terrible mm-hmm. winters here, yeah. so, so slabs of concrete rise and then they come down, and yeah. it, it creates these things. And of course, the city does certain inspections on, on a continuous basis. They have contractors. They have an obligation to make sure that you don't have a huge type of, of high differentials. So the, generally speaking, when we go to the case law, uh, we see that anything over an inch and a half uh, of, of high differential uh, would uh, open up exposure on the city. The city is responsible for that. They can't just let that be, especially if it's a place that's very high trafficked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, downtown Toronto is going to have uh, you know a lot of people there as opposed to someplace like Perry Sound as an example, right? In a particular area, you may have a lot more traffic, a lot more people uh, – coming in and out. Uh, so anything over about an inch and a half, anything less than three quarters of an inch, generally that's not negligence. Yeah, pick up your feet. Yeah, pick up your <laughs> Sure, yeah. Listen, <laughs> right. the city doesn't have an obligation to make sure that uh, the, the, the area is, is like, a, like a billiard table, right? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to be completely smooth. But anything between three quarters of an inch and an inch and a half, there may be negligence on the city. It's right. arguable. It depends on a variety of factors. Here, Rick is saying that it was about an inch and a half high. Very important uh, for you or someone else who's not as injured as you uh, to go there, take some photographs, put a ruler there, uh, you know, so we can see the height. Make sure that it's documented because when we let the city know, and by the way, we have to let them know fairly quickly. Very important. You're saying it's about three weeks ago. Uh, you know, within Toronto, 10 days, it's ten days, right? Uh, it's across the the province. Oh, you need wow. to let there people, you go. Yeah, the municipalities need to know within ten days uh, that you suffered an injury on one of their sidewalks. Very, very important. And, and oftentimes, the adjusters investigating these types of incidents for the city will write back saying, "Tell us exactly where it is," because right. telling us that it is at the corner of so and so doesn't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very important, uh, take photos. So Rick, uh, we, we can talk off air. Uh, just give me a shout or send me an email. Tearing a meniscus in the knee, serious injury. I don't know how old you are, but a lot of times that leads to some kind of surgery and potential issues in the future. Uh, arthritis, osteoarthritis, I've seen everything. Uh, so give me a call, not difficult to do. An inch and a half high, there's probably negligence there on whoever owned the sidewalk. Well, I'll tell you, in, in Toronto, the city's on top of it because it's funny you talked about this this week because just this past week as I walked my daughter up and uh, back and forth from school, there's a stretch of, of road and sidewalk on both sides, about 300 meters long. And uh, every it's not every 30 feet, but it seems like every 30 feet there's uh, an abutment of sidewalk, and certain ones have orange spray paint on them. Yes. They've already been marked. Right. And you can see there's a, there's a definite difference there of at least an inch and a half, if not more. So the city is on top of it. Now, I wonder if – how about this? You might not know this, but if, uh, if I ever trip over one of these slabs that is already marked with orange paint, they're getting around to it. Are they still negligent or it's like, we sprayed that, you're supposed to step over that? That's an interesting question. Right? It's arguable because you can imagine that the defense lawyer for the city is going to say, you should have seen it. Yeah, it's fluorescent orange right. paint. But let me yeah. ask you a question, John. What happens if it's three inches high? It's right. three inches. I mean, you're walking. you got to jump Perhaps over you're it. talking with somebody on the phone. Perhaps you're yeah. talking to a friend. Perhaps you're running. You're not noticing it. So listen, they have an argument. There's no question. We have to be reasonable when we right. look at these. But, but, you know, then the other question is, when did they spray paint that? That's was what I'm wondering, right? Was it three months right? ago? Why right. did it take them three months? Why in three months haven't they fixed it? And again, it really depends on the scenario and the facts uh, of the case. Uh, you know, me and my colleagues will oftentimes will tell you uh, these types of cases are decided on the facts. The facts are – they're specific to yes. each case. It depends. It depends. If they spray painted it, for example, yesterday and you fell today – 
I give him a break. Give him a break, exactly. <laughs> right. But again, it depends. Uh, what do their own uh, uh, contractors, if they have contractors, you know, have they been negligent? Is the city simply assuming that there's someone else who's going to take care of it? Yep. And those guys are thinking, oh, well, the city is going to call right. us when they need us. Well, at least they marked it. I'll be keeping an eye on it for sure. I'll let you Absolutely know. Absolutely, you should, yep. yeah. We'll take a short break. In the meantime, 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And take a trip over to injurycalculator.ca and check that out as well. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up here on Talk Radio AM 640. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan anytime and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And you should check out injurycalculator.ca and uh, have a little fun with that and calculate uh, some possible pain and suffering if you're suffering from an injury or have been for some time. It'll at least give you a ballpark of what you could be in for, right? Yeah, or your family member or you a friend, it. absolutely. Let's uh, talk about surveillance. Uh, I love this part. Uh, we hear about you know insurance companies hiring private investigators in personal injury cases. Is that common? Very, very common. So what you see on TV is not necessarily what happens in real life. So Magnum doesn't show up in a Ferrari <laughs> is what you're saying, I guess. Uh, okay. No, I haven't seen that happen. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but John, let me say this. Uh, hiring a private investigator is, is common, but it's expensive. And insurance companies uh, will not just order surveillance for no reason generally. Uh, I mean, I've seen all kinds, uh, and when I was a defense lawyer myself, I've ordered surveillance, uh, got instructions to order surveillance on uh, claimants that I thought were hyping up their injuries, perhaps weren't that injured. So really, it's it's one of the tools that insurance companies have to test whether what you as an injured claimant uh, are saying is true. So if you're saying, John, that you can never drive a car, or you haven't been able to drive a car since the accident, and you've been walking with this cane, you know, rep- repeatedly without stop. In other words, you can't walk without the cane. And here we have surveillance showing that, oh, listen, not only can you, uh, you know, can you walk without a cane and drive, but you've been playing soccer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, last Canada Day weekend. That's very, very detrimental, as you can imagine, to your case. And, and you know, what I would tell people is this. Don't become paranoid. It is common, but it's not like they're going to post someone outside your house for a month. It's not going to happen. Generally, what they do is uh, they'll order surveillance so there'll be somebody perhaps outside your home or your work. Keep in mind, they can't communicate with you. They can't or they're not allowed uh, to actually have any dealings with you. Mm -hmm. The defense side, the insurance company would be reprimanded by the court if they did that. They're not allowed to have any contact with you. Can't break that barrier. They can't break that barrier. And there have been cases where where they did that and and, all hell broke loose for the insurance company when the judge found out. Uh, but uh, they will do that. So what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, let's, let's uh, uh, post somebody outside of, of that person's home and, and just trail them for two days or three days consecutively mm-hmm. just to see what they do. And sometimes the surveillance come out, uh, comes out uh, with nothing, and sometimes they get some good stuff. And I can tell you when I was doing surveillance or when I was ordering surveillance as a defense lawyer, there, is, there, there were quite a few claims that after I showed that surveillance to the claimant's lawyer, that case ended right there and then. So what are they? What, like besides the obvious, what do they do? Why are they so? They so, I mean, why did the insurance company just hire the rookie kid in the office with an iPhone to go out and spy on you? Why are they hiring these investigators? And what do they do? Well, they want people who know what they're doing who are not going to be spotted. Oftentimes, they are spotted. I mean, I have I have clients that say, "Listen, I, I can see somebody who's outside our house," and I tell them, "Listen, just act normally. Uh, you didn't lie when you were saying certain things. Uh, you know, j- just understand that if you're say, if you're." If you're telling the insurance company that you know you can't lift anything because your back hurts so much, even when you're lifting a feather, and then there's surveillance showing that you went to the grocery store and were picking up all these cases bags of, of beer, cases of beer, <laughs> water, whatever, 
that's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. I mean, your lawyer is going to try and explain that away, but it's going to be a problem. So be truthful. Be truthful in terms of your limitations. And, you know, oftentimes, John, when it comes down to questioning and questioning a claimant, uh, so, for example, you have someone uh, who is answering questions about their injury, and, and they perhaps may say, uh, you know, I haven't been able to, uh, or, or I'm not able to do any house cleaning whatsoever. I'm not able to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to pick up my kids. I'm not able to do any of that. And then you have surveillance, and the surveillance shows that the person is is mopping the outside of, of their house. It shows that they're picking up, uh, you know, their, their uh, two-year-old grandson for two sure. seconds. Really what that person meant to say, and oftentimes it's what I see, what, what they meant to say is not that they can't do it. It's that they try to not do it because when they do it, it really hurts them. It hurts right. their back. So very important for people out there to understand that surveillance is just a tool the insurance companies use. Uh, It's not an illegal tool. It can be used illegally, but oftentimes it's just used to test the truth of what it is that you're claiming. Is it admissible? uh, It is admissible, but there are strict rules that deal with admissibility. There are strict evidence rules uh, that the defense has to follow. So what do you do if if you suspect you're being followed or, or video cameraed or taped? First of all, let your lawyer know. Second of all, don't don't act, uh, don't engage the the investigator. There is no point. wave at them. <laughs> wave at Selfies. them. Right, exactly. Offer them some no. coke. Uh, no, Coca Cola. Coca Cola. Gotcha. Don't yes. get in even more trouble. Thanks, Thank John. you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, there is no, there is no, there's nothing really you can do except to act naturally. I mean, mm-hmm. if if you've done what you should have done, which is tell the truth from the beginning about the extent of your injuries and your impairments, the surveillance are going to show just that. Right. You know, I mean, I had a client one time who had a very severe shoulder injury. He's re- he recovered to a certain extent, and, and the surveillance from the insurance company showed that he, he was talking on his phone, on his cell phone, uh, using that arm that was injured. Well, so what? We knew that person had a tear. We knew he went through surgery. He never said that he can't use his arm. Can hold a 20-ounce cell phone. Yeah, he never said that. Uh, all that happened here is that they, they surveillance showed that he was able to use his arm. But can he go back and do construction the way he did before? No, he can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oftentimes surveillance will come up with nothing, but people should be aware that it is a tool. And should I tell way, my lawyer? Yeah, you should tell your lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't know that your lawyer can necessarily do anything about that. Right. If there's something inappropriate like uh, direct communications or that person is uh, uh, speaking uh, with, with a family member or, or perhaps your employer, you should tell your lawyer. A lawyer can, can deal with that, can communicate with the defense lawyer and, and sort of set the boundaries of what's allowable and what's not. We'll get to a quick email before we break. We'll touch on this one anyway before we break. Uh, from Stephen Toronto says, I had a car accident three years ago and have no idea what's happening with my claim. You've heard this a million times. Uh, I've never even met my lawyer, and every time I call, they're telling me that the case is going well, but uh, I haven't gotten anything. What can I do? Uh, Steve, I can tell you right now it's not going well. <laughs> okay, perfect. If, if, you, if, you haven't, if you haven't even met your lawyer uh, and nothing happened in three years, I have major concerns here. Uh, give me a call. Please give me a call, uh, and uh, I'll tell you exactly what you need to to uh, to ask that law office. Uh, contact the secretary. Contact the receptionist. Contact someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to find out if a claim was issued. Because don't forget, we have a two-year limitation period here right. in Ontario. And the fact that they're telling you everything is going well and you know that nothing has happened in three years when most of these cases resolve by the three-year mark, Something is off here. So give me a call. For anyone out there, these claims should not be dragging on. If you feel like they're dragging on and you have absolutely no idea what the timeline is, what's going on, your lawyer is not communicating with you, no one from that law office is communicating with you, that's a red flag. You have to make sure you dig. 
Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is that email address and the phone number, 416-216-5910. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640. Savan has a number with him all the time. It is 416-216-5910. And, uh, and uh, pardon me, uh, email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's get to this. A little bit of a uh, tip of the hat to uh, David Letterman wrapping things up a couple weeks ago. We'll do the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers. Now, I'm going to get you to answer these. This is from an American website, so these will be uh, interesting. First one right here. I haven't heard from my lawyer in months. What's going on? Uh, well, what's going on is that nothing is happening with your case. <laughs> If awesome. you haven't heard for months uh, and you haven't been told that anything is scheduled uh, in your case, then there is a potential problem. Uh, again, complaint that we hear quite often. Make sure that you know exactly what the timeline is for your case to be progressing. How about my car accident lawyer? You, you think this would be quick and, and to the point, but hasn't uh, returned my phone calls. He's so inaccessible. What do I do? So inaccessibility, that's, uh, that's an issue that comes up quite often. Uh, and, and it's not just in personal injury and in other areas of law. Lawyers, unfortunately, have a reputation of being inaccessible. There is no reason for that. I'm telling you, John, I've been working for a long time in this profession, and I can tell you that for defense lawyers, for plaintiff lawyers, there is no reason why a lawyer is inaccessible. Yes, we can be in court. We can be in meetings. But we all have Blackberries and iPhones and email, and we have, we have all that stuff. We know exactly when somebody is leaving us a message. For, in my office, for example, every voicemail that's left for us gets email to, to us. So if I'm getting right now a, a, uh, a voicemail at the office, within two seconds, I'll get the email. The actual voicemail will translate into an email Wicked. and will come to me. So I know exactly. So if your lawyer is not answering uh, or not responding, there is a problem with the way that lawyer is practicing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's not 1985. It you is get a hold not. No. We're talking about the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers. Number three, my lawyer speaks in language I just don't understand. I'm, I'm not talking Swahili. I'm talking legalese. And I feel too dumb to ask her to repeat herself. What do I do? Uh, First of all, you are not dumb for asking any of these types of questions. You know, uh, years back, the Supreme Court of Canada um, said that they're sick and tired of lawyers using lawyer lingo, Mm -hmm. using Latin. Uh, And this came from the highest court in the land. So, for example, one of the ways that we used to uh, refer to each other in the legal profession uh, profession is as counsel. Counsel was the word for a lawyer. Well, now when we file something with the court, you're not allowed to say counsel for the plaintiff or defendant. Because I hear that on TV all the time. Right. Now you're supposed to say lawyer for the plaintiff or for the defendant. We're supposed to use regular everyday language. And there is no reason to use that complex, overly complex and Latin and, and, and Latin type language. There mm-hmm. isn't. So uh, if, if you know, your lawyer is, is trying to explain something to you and it just you're not understanding it, ask more questions. It's no different than going to the doctor. You want to make sure you understand what your condition is. If the doctor is just spewing medical lingo, and that doesn't help you. It doesn't help you make a choice, make a decision, understand your situation. The top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers answered by Savan right here. I get the feeling my personal injury, this is number four, by the way, I get the feeling my personal injury lawyer isn't telling me everything, like why he's pushing to settle this case so early and for so little compensation to the victim. I'm the victim. What do I do? Right. So every case, again, is fact-specific. In Mm -hmm. some cases, you want to resolve early. Some cases, uh, you probably don't for strategic reasons. This complaint, this this, uh, idea that lawyers are trying to push you to resolve things early, look, Let's take a look. Let, 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 let's take the example of a, of a real estate agent. You're selling a house. I mean, clearly, the real estate agent wants to sell the house as soon as possible right. because that's how they get their commission. It's similar in this instance as well. Uh, but 
it has to be explained to the individual. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, the calculation is that uh, there are some unfavorable facts, and, and if we drag on the case longer than we have to, those will come to light in a way that will make settlement less likely or perhaps there will be less of a settlement in the future. So let's get it done. Exactly. Right? There may be strategic or tactical reasons to resolve early, but a lot of times, unfortunately, when I'm reviewing, when I'm giving second opinions uh, with some some individuals who come to me after they listen to the show or, or they've read on, on the site uh, what I've written, I, I you know my sense is that the lawyers are, are trying to get a quick settlement, a quick fix, uh, so mm-hmm. that they can get paid. N- not by no means is is it you know the case for all lawyers or paralegals, but for some people out there, yes, that's how they do business. We're talking about the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers. This uh, we call them from an American website. Number five is I'm feeling lost, confused, and anxious in a maze of doctors. And my personal injury lawyer gives me no clear direction about whom I should see, when, or for how long. Good, uh, good nod to grammar there as well with the whom. Uh, yeah. Anyway, number five, who is it? Uh, what do they do? Uh, they have to either change lawyers yeah. or they have to sit down with this lawyer and, and understand this maze uh, that they're facing. Because it is a maze. It's a legal maze and, and oftentimes it's a medical maze. And really, at the end of the day, you're going to the lawyer to simplify that maze for you or to at least give you options and recommendations. Keep in mind, many times when I tell my clients that here are your options – their response is, well, what do you recommend? So I don't actually wait for them to say that. I simply tell them, here are your options. Here's the menu of what you can choose mm-hmm. from. Here's what will happen if you choose each option. Here's what I recommend. Then it's clear to them. They can make a decision. They can follow my advice or, or they don't have to. But oftentimes, many, you know, a lot of these, these uh, complaints, a lot of lawyers end up uh, not really um, explaining it, not taking the time to explain sure. the process. Because, uh, you know, it can often be the case where they've been a lawyer for two or three years. You might not want to bail out because it's going to cost you a bit of coin, right? Exactly. Right. So it might be one of the points to uh, take. And we'll get to the other ones, the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers after the break. In the meantime, 416-216-5910. That is Savan's direct number. And help at the insurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640. So Van's number is 416-216-5910. You can email him as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And anytime you're online, you want to see what a injury claim might be worth for pain and suffering, it is injurycalculator.ca. We were talking about the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers. We're down to, uh, to number six. says, I'm scared about all the expenses and my lawyer is not giving me a clear timeline of when I can expect my case to resolve. So this goes back to uh, some of the other points that we discussed. Your lawyer should be able to give you a rough timeline. Look, sometimes things happen. Perhaps you know your injury claim is close to resolution, but you just had another accident. So that's going to extend the timeline again uh, because you have to have all the part, or you should have all the parties around the table when when there is a resolution that's being negotiated. Uh, but your lawyer should be able to sit down with you and explain what is expected. Again, it comes down to just giving this information out. It's really not difficult. Most lawyers out there, they, they know this inside, inside and out. I, I was at a conference, uh, a, a, um, a conference um, uh, by the Ontario Trial Lawyer Association uh, just a few weeks ago, and I was just surrounded by, by phenomenal lawyers, just amazing lawyers. And as I'm looking around me uh, to, to both sides, I can tell you that all the faces I recognize there, they would sit down with their clients and they would go through the timelines for a claim, uh, expected resolution, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, how to deal with various expenses that come up. That would not be a problem. But unfortunately, there's a lot of lawyers out there, a lot of paralegals out there that simply don't take the time and explain it. And that's what creates a lot of the, the, the burden and, and right. the pressures that individuals who are injured are feeling on a day-to-day basis. We're talking about the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers called from a uh, 
a website in the States, and I guess it's the same up here on this side of the border. Number seven is I don't really understand how much the lawyer is going to cost me. Well, that's a, that's a big problem. <laughs> right. uh, when, when you hire a lawyer, uh, you should have been presented with a retainer agreement. Mm. Uh, I'm not talking about you providing retainer funds, i.e. paying into a trust account. I'm saying that there should have been a contract that, that was placed in front of you, explained to you, uh, that would have outlined exactly what it is that uh, you're going to be paying your lawyer at the end of the claim or throughout the claim, depending on the claim you're dealing with. Uh, now, the law society, uh, the regulations are, are very specific in particular about how these retainer agreements should be structured. Uh, in fact, in, in our retainer agreements, there's always an example that breaks down the, the amounts and, and you can see exactly uh, how at the end of the day uh, the, the money is going to be dispersed. So you're not paying anything along the way. When I'm dealing with a personal injury claim, we're dealing with all the expenses, we're dealing with, with everything really at the end of the day. Uh, if you refer back to that retainer agreement, very, very simple. will take you 30 seconds to refresh your memory as to what happens. Right. But in this case, when you have somebody complaining that they have no idea how much a lawyer is going to cost them, that's a problem, major problem. We're talking the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers. Get down to the last two here. Number eight is this. I don't know if this personal injury lawyer is any good, but even more scary, I won't know until my case is settled, possibly leaving me with a persistent injury and nothing in my pocket to pay for medical expenses and lost wages. That's scary. It, it is scary, and it comes down to, again, the I guess the single word that is so important in this relationship between the lawyer and the client, which is trust. And that's something that uh, unfortunately doesn't get built up as the case progresses. Many times the client starts off by trusting the lawyer uh, and, and as the case progresses, they have less and less trust because of miscommunication, lack of communication, uh, uh, no explanations forthcoming, the case just drags on. So again, trust. Make sure that you have that trust in your lawyer. Uh, because that lawyer is there for you. You hire that lawyer to represent you. Which kind of speaks to number nine and the uh, last one of the top nine complaints about personal injury lawyers had as follows. I get the feeling my lawyer's first priority is his, uh, his himself. Second priority, himself. If that's how you feel, you should be switching lawyers. There's no ends, ifs, or, or buts about it. I mean, you know, I was just talking with my assistant uh, earlier this week about how uh, lawyers who do personal injury on the plaintiff side, they have to be empathetic. Empathy is so important here. I mean, you have to really live the case. Uh, you have to figure out what is the best way to help your client from every angle. And that's something that unfortunately is not that common out there. The best lawyers out there, a lot of my colleagues, I see them. I mean, we talk about these cases after work hours. Uh, it's the empathy. It's, it's trying to do everything you can to help your client. We'll get to an email before we wrap for the week, my friend. This comes from Sherry and really says, my mother slipped on clothes that were on a floor in a store. Uh, we were about uh, two months ago. She broke both hips and is still in the hospital. Someone from the store's insurance company called us and asked us to come take a statement. Should I agree? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Last no. thing you want to do. No, right? no, 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 no. Uh, Sherry, just give us a call. Uh, there should be no statement uh, forthcoming from you or, or, or from your mother. Uh, breaking two hips, I mean, those are going to be serious and permanent injuries. Uh, the damages here could be uh, significant. I mean, we're talking about at least six figures, if not seven figures, depending on, on you know, the various damages that we, uh, that, that, that we look at uh, and, and what she's going to need in terms of future care or perhaps uh, a different house and accommodation. Uh, no, you never give these kinds of statements to insurance adjusters without having a lawyer present. 
Before we wrap, just give us another uh, quick flash, injurycalculator.ca. Again, an amazing tool allows you within a few seconds, anonymously and freely, to go on that website, input some information, and, and get an idea of what pain and suffering damages, the dollar value of, of your pain and suffering is worth. Uh, every case is fact-specific, so what you can do when you get those numbers is, is click on that little button there that says that you'd like a more in-depth consultation. I get that email, mm-hmm. uh, and I can just have a conversation with you. I mean, it's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything. Within minutes, I can give you an idea of what uh, your options are and what you can expect. We'll take it down for another week. In the meantime, you want to uh, get a hold of Savan until next weekend, 416-216-5910 is his direct number, and you can email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio AM 640.